I'm Jeff Cohen. Sarah London has dabbled in acting, matchmaking, and tech sales. Those and some challenging family situations were all part of her journey to Jewish observance. Let's hear her story now. Sarah, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Hey, Jeff, how are you? It's so good to be here. And for our avid listeners who heard me say Sarah London, they might recognize the last name. Sarah, do you want to tell people why they might know that name? My husband was on a couple months ago, um, and he had such a good time that he was like, you have to do this too. (laughs) So it's a family affair. So his name is Aaron London for our listeners if they want to look up that episode. Yeah. And we have from time to time interviewed couples together. In this case, we've done the husband and now we're doing the wife. So this is your chance to fact check all the things that he (laughs) said on his interview, and you can tell your side of the story. You ready to start? Absolutely. All right. So let's take it from the beginning in terms of where you were born and raised and where your story begins. I was raised, born and raised in Long Beach, California. Um, I really grew up in an awesome city. I don't know if anybody's heard of Snoop Dogg or Sublime, but (laughs) that is, that's my hometown. Um, I have uh, two siblings. I have a, a younger brother and an older sister. Okay. And in terms of religious upbringing, how would you describe your family? Definitely culturally Jewish. I don't know how many times you've probably heard that one. I grew up reform. We went to Hebrew school Sunday, Wednesday. I was bat mitzvahed. My sister was as well. And we would, you know, sort of fight over who would have to go that week. We, we really weren't so into it. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but we were trying to give each other <laughs> like fake fevers so that we wouldn't have to go in. And, and my family, they were big football fans. So everybody would want to stay home and watch Sunday football. And were you following the different holidays? Like in my family, we got our Hanukkah gifts. We had one of the seders. So we did a few of the things, but certainly not to the level that an observant family would be doing. So really, to be honest, in the beginning of my life, I remember us doing that. As things got more challenging, my mom, who's like, you know, my hero and incredibly amazing, just had the whole world and more to carry on her shoulders. So I think a lot of that fell through the cracks as we got older. So you brought up this word challenging and you were alluding to something going on within your family. So I understand that your parents had a tumultuous relationship. Can you share what was going on within the household? My mom is incredible. She's really just my my hero and my North Star in many ways because she's really been through it. My father worked. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. And their relationship was definitely unhealthy. You know, my father's parents are Holocaust survivors. And my mom had really um, just a very unhealthy mother. And so they had no semblance of a, of a positive relationship. They had no role model, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, from the beginning of my life, I remember it was tumultuous, but we were still, you know, they held it together for a little while. And I remember being very loved by my parents when I was younger. And, you know, my mom was like that, you know, that amazing world-class stay-at-home mom. Every Friday I would come home and there'd be a beanie baby (laughs) on my bed just waiting for me. You know, she was thinking about us all day. So you said that your parents kept it together for a period of time. So do you remember an age where maybe they came to you and your siblings and said, look, this is not working out and we're heading towards divorce? Wow, that's such a healthy way of doing it. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't play out that way. (laughs) It didn't play out that way. Um, So, you know, when I was about seven or eight, you know, my dad was really at the time making it very difficult for my mom to stay in that relationship. You know, something that my mom and I speak about often is she always wonders, you know, because our life was so complicated after that because she was just, like I said, carrying the weight of the world and more on her shoulders. She always said, like, should I stay? But there was some pretty disgusting behavior going on 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 his end. And 
was making very, very hard for her. So it was pretty intense, lots of fighting. And that's how we sort of knew that there was a divorce happening. I don't think we ever got, you know, <laughs> I don't remember at least uh, to my family's credit, maybe they did, but I don't remember ever being, you know, sat down and said, like, this is what's happening. It just sort of happened. Can you take me inside? Like what happens post-divorce? I would think your mom is trying to restart a life. Is it her now alone with the three kids? What what situation are you in family-wise? My father was the, the main breadwinner in the house. After the divorce, there was a really intense custody battle. And after he lost the custody battle, he really distanced himself. I didn't see my father for eight years. And he was not paying child support. And my mom, who, you know, hadn't really worked in her adult life, her job was being a mother and she was great at it, had to pick up and start. And so she had to get a job and she had to emotionally, physically, financially take care of these three children all on her own. It wasn't necessarily, you know, riches to rags, but it wasn't, you know, it was a house to move into like, you know, a smaller apartment so that she can afford to take care of us. That's a tough thing. When you hear these kind of stories about a single mom situation with three kids, you often hear that one or more of the kids now gets thrust into either a caretaking role or having to even do something financially to support the family. So how did your life change now that you're in this new setup? I was very young. So my sister was sort of, she was older, she was a teenager. She was, you know, she did all of like the stereotypical go against the world anarchist teenage things. And I was still sort of in this, I was home, there would be the cleaning and there would be the, you know, making the pasta for dinner and, you know, making sure that my brother was, you know, would wash his hands after he went to the bathroom, you know, stuff like that. And again, to my mother's credit, she was at work, you know, and so we, we get out of school, you know, one, two o'clock, we would come home. And it would be me and my brother for a long time. So, yeah, it would be me watching over him. Totally. Let's bring Judaism now back into the picture, because this would also be the time frame for the three siblings that you're thinking about, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs. So does that happen within your family? What's going on overall in terms of your Judaism? At that time, I was in my what we called the, you know, the B'nai Mitzvah class. And um, I didn't see Judaism as spiritual growing up, the Judaism that I got was like the champagne without the bubbles. I didn't know any of the good stuff that I know today that would have been such a bracha to get me through. I do have this memory, though, uh, at the time of our B'nai Mitzvah class, we were taken to, they wanted to, us to be exposed to like different denominations of Judaism, so to speak. And I remember they took us to a Chabad in LA. And, uh, you know, I really saw this like Orthodox Jews up front for the first time. And I was just shocked. Um, I remember they split us up, you know, the men were on one side and the women were on another. And then um, the rabbi comes to speak to us. And um, I remember asking, they, they told us about Tacho Mernigia. And I remember asking, you know, why is it like this? And why do we pray separately? I don't remember the answer they gave me, but I remember in my head thinking, oh my goodness, this makes so much sense to me. I'm, you know, 13 years old, 12 years old. Like, this makes so much sense. This is so beautiful. And I, like, scared myself. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't do this. This is a cult. <laughs> I can't even, like, go there, you know? And I remember thinking, like, ooh, this, like, looks yummy. This looks, you know, like my soul felt something in that moment. Well, it sounds to me like some early seeds were being planted. It just wasn't the right time in your life to run with it. Right, exactly. It happened to be that at that time, my um, B'nai Mitzvah teacher, who is the woman who I actually ended up moving into her back house later on in life, like when I was, you know, later on in high school, she was a life coach. So she would stay with me for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour after class. And that's really where my growth journey began. You know, she would talk to me about things that are out of my control. Um, and that was really healing and helpful for me to have her in, in that corner. 
As we continue your timeline, we would be now approaching the high school years, and I wish that the next question I was going to be asking you about was how stable everything was for you in high school compared to how tumultuous it was in the early years. But I'm guessing it's not what happened during high school. Can you share what was going on during those years? Because my mother was so amazing, we went from living in an apartment to a house that was closer to the high school that I was going to. And that really broke my mom because we couldn't afford the house, but she really, it just goes to show how much she wanted us to have this like healthy, normal life. And she was really working and trying for it. Um, but that was sort of the downfall because, you know, when you can't afford something and you're paying for it, that's, that adds just like an extra level of pressure and anxiety. The blessing of that house is that I actually met my best friends. My, I had two friends that lived across the street from me. There was someone that was my brother's age and there was somebody that was my age. And I spent a lot of time at her house, but it was just way too expensive for what mom could afford. So it just added a lot of extra stress and pressure. And my mom sort of fell into addiction in some capacity. My mom would sort of like, you know, go into her room after a long day of work. And I would be like, oh, you know, she's probably just tired. But that was sort of the beginning of when it got really difficult. So you used the word addiction, like how far did this get? Did it go all the way to a rehab situation or how did it progress over time? Baruch Hashem, you know, there was a day when I was, I think I was 16 years old. And, um, you know, you mentioned acting. I was actually at the time playing Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird. And, um, you know, my mom comes and sits us down and says, you know, there it was, there was a lot happening at that time. But um, essentially, you know, my mom had a boy had had a boyfriend who was very close to the family. And a day before that conversation, he had a heart attack and just passed away. And then we were getting evicted from the house because we couldn't afford it. And uh, my mom says, and I'm going to inpatient rehab. And so my sister went to go move in with her friend. She was a teenager. She was older, maybe even her boyfriend. I can't remember exactly, but she had his family or her best friend's family. And my brother was going to go live with my aunt who lived across town. And, and I didn't want to, want to. I was I was in this play. I, I was at I was at rehearsals till, you know, very late at night. And it was my life. And I didn't want to be taken away from that. So... I had a good friend in that same program um, who was not Jewish. She was actually Christian. She brought me into her house for a couple of weeks, which was incredible. And you're, what, at this point, 15, 16 years old? Yeah, 15, 16 years old, yeah. You spent two weeks living with this non-Jewish family so you could participate in this play. What happens from there? So a couple of weeks. It was a long time, and and, um, it's really amazing what they did that they brought me in. So I mentioned earlier on my B'nai Mitzvah teacher, who was also a life coach, she reached out to me and I gave her, it was through email, and I gave her an update as to like what's going on in my life. And um, she just, without hesitation, she said, come live with me, you're moving in. You know, she wanted me to be in a Jewish home. She's not religious. I, you know, I love her like a mother to this day, but she just, her like mom instincts kicked in and she was like, you're not, you're not living there anymore. You're coming to live with me. And she took me in and I lived with her for, you know, for two years until I moved to New York. You moved to New York after you graduated high school? Yeah, so I finished high school. I'm young for my grade. So I I was, you know, so I was 17 when I moved to New York. Why did you choose New York? What were you looking to follow? What were you looking to do with your life? I think really I was looking to get away. You know, there are plenty of good acting schools in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom's from New York. My father is from New York. My whole family is from New York. 
and it was just where I wanted to be. And you really can't tell a teenager anything different when they want something. Even if I myself, to like this Sarah London, went back in time to the old Sarah Goldstein and I said, don't do this. <laughs> um, you're, you know, you're not going to become an actress. This is not the way your life is going to work out. I would say, who are you? What are you talking about? You know, we just sort of have to go through what we go through. But I um, was applying to a bunch of different schools, and I ended up getting into a school called the New York Conservatory for Dramatic Arts, NYCDA. I got a fairly decent scholarship. I did save up. I was working throughout all that time. I had a really great summer job, and I would babysit. So I, I did have, like, you know, for that age, a, a pretty, you know, decent amount of savings. And I had a teacher at the time who helped me raise money to go to New York. And she really made sure that I had a certain amount of money in my bank account before I went. It was enough to make it work, Baruch Hashem. At this point in time, you're in acting school thinking, I'm going to learn this profession and then I'm going to start auditioning and look for my big break and this is going to be my career and I'm going to be a Hollywood star. Is that where your mindset is? I loved the art of acting. And I don't think I ever really wanted to be famous. I just wanted to act. I wanted to make money off of the, the thing that I love to do the most. You mentioned babysitting as one of the ways that you were supporting yourself through acting school. So I understand that the babysitting then morphed into a career shift. Can you share what happened there? <laughs> yeah, so I was really working harder than I'd ever been working. I actually think the anxiety really started more when I went to the city because I really was supporting myself. I was not getting a, do a dollar extra from anybody else. And so I was really working full-time hours and going to school full-time hours. So I was working at Trader Joe's and I, you know, was able to get some babysitting gigs on the side, but it's a, you know, it's a great story. I'm, I'm ringing someone up at Trader Joe's and these kids come up to me and I'm playing with them and, or, you know, having a conversation with them. And this, you know, really awesome eccentric woman says to me, do you babysit? And I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, come babysit for me. You're so good with the kids. And uh, that began, you know, a couple year long relationship with this family. So I, I started babysitting that for them. And it ended up being that I, I was more successful doing that. It was easier work um, that I enjoyed more for more money. So I was able to quit Trader Joe's and, and just nanny and babysit. And this woman was a is a professional matchmaker in the secular world. So I was watching over her kids. Yeah. What are you thinking as you're watching her as a matchmaker? I would think you're considering back to the relationship that you watched your parents go through growing up, and now you're connected with this matchmaker whose whole job is to bring couples together and hope they have a, a good journey. I mean, I was obsessed, you know? I, it was incredible. I, You know, since my parents got a divorce, I was always obsessed with relationships. Like, to me, I was like, there are people out there who have healthy relationships. Like, it was so foreign to me, though. It's like, how do people do this? What does this look like? What work has to go into it? I had no idea how it could happen. And then I see this woman who has what I think is probably the coolest job in the world. So when she would come home and I would be done babysitting, I felt so bad, but I would be like, can we sit and talk about this? And, <laughs> you know, poor woman. It's like, I know when I come home after like a date with my husband, I want to, you know, spend some time with my husband or decompress. But she would sit and she would talk to me and she would tell me, what she would do and how it would work and certain things going on at work at the time. It was very, very interesting. Did the babysitting gig then grow into something more with her? You're showing all this interest in matchmaking. And this is the same person who saw your Trader Joe's and said, I think you'd be a babysitter. Does she now say, well, you're so interested in matchmaking. Maybe you should come work for me here instead of babysitting. <laughs> she didn't quite do that because I think everybody's interested in matchmaking. But, you know, I have to be honest, after three years of this school, which I you know, I always joke with my husband, like, you know, I went to three years of acting school for what? Like I was in sales and now I'm, you know, in Jewish outreach. But 
acting school is incredible in terms of just getting to know yourself and, and how you relate to the world. And after three years of that, I, I decided that I didn't have what I felt like it emotionally took to be an actor. You know, all I wanted, all I craved in my life was stability. And I would be basically walking into a world that was completely and utterly unstable. I asked this woman, I said, can I please come work for you? And uh, she let me, you know, I was selling in that matchmaking company. I was selling fairly large packages. The job that I really loved, actually, my boss would basically teach other matchmakers how to create a matchmaking business. It was sort of like a business in the box type thing and would like coach them up to be successful. And for a while, I was actually selling that package to people. And I realized that I did have a knack for sales. And so I just made the decision, okay, I'm not going to act right now. And I'm just going to be doing this. I'm going to be working for this woman in her matchmaking business. This is also the age when people start thinking more about dating and maybe marriage. So is there anybody coming into your life at this point where there's a relationship that might be progressing to something serious? I did have a boyfriend at the time, and it was my first, you know, I want to say big girl relationship. And this guy, he was actually in the film industry. So we really connected on and respected each other for like the art that we would do. The one thing you didn't say was his religious background compared to yours. So this, you called it a big girl relationship. What was it religiously between the two of you? He was not Jewish. His dad was Jewish. His mother was not. And I did not care one bit. One, one bit. Didn't even cross my mind that I should even care about something like that. But I can guess that given the fact that you mentioned your work in outreach, and we know we interviewed Aaron London, who's Jewish, that this relationship did not work out for the long haul. So what happened? I ended up working for a corporate sales company. It happened to be that I had, there was uh, someone working at that company who was a coach. He would help people become better at sales. He was very, very successful, probably the most successful sales rep that company had ever seen. And he was an Orthodox Jew. And it was really my first exposure in terms of having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with someone who was part of that group. And uh, he was sitting behind me and he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, you know, now that I have money, I'm, I'm, um, I like to donate money because I just feel so grateful that I have it. And he goes, you do know that's like called sadaka. You know, he explained to me, my sir, you give 10% of what you make. And he's like, you're so Jewish. You have no idea. He's like, the matchmaking and that like, you have no idea. Like your soul is so Jewish. You have to learn more about this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. And finally, he was just like, really like, he was telling me things like, you have to learn about, you know, where you come from. You have to know like what real Judaism is. You know, you didn't experience real Judaism. And it's so funny because I say those things to, to girls now and they roll their eyes. But I remember, you know, um, him saying this. And so thank God he introduced me to a woman named Jackie Glazer. And she worked at Olami Manhattan. And that's when I really started learning about authentic, true Torah Judaism. We should point out also for our listeners, because we interviewed Aaron, probably some people are thinking that this nice guy behind you is Aaron and yeah. that he's the guy that you married. But that's not who he is in this story. He comes in later. Yeah, that's not who he is. I'm very grateful to this guy. But um, no, Aaron comes in a little bit later. All right. So let's continue with the story now. You get involved with this Jewish organization. How does that accelerate you getting more involved in Judaism overall? I was learning about relationships, right? How to have a healthy relationship. And I was being exposed to things. I was seeing families where the husband respected the wife and they were talking to kids. Like I'd never seen people speak to kids before. And it was actually kind of scary how much it like sort of, I want to say like penetrated my soul. And that I'm like, 
I really see this. I really vibe with this, you know, but I'm never going to be religious, but I really see this. And I think it was so, you know, so beautiful. And, and I would start doing Shabbat dinners and it was really starting to create tension between me and my non-Jewish boyfriend, because, you know, to me, I, I didn't know that I wanted to be religious. I was probably like, you know, lying to myself and saying like, no, I'm just going to have it in my life. And, and, but I, you know, I was, I would learn that like, you know, if your father's Jewish and your mother is not, then like you're, you're not halakhically Jewish. And it was really pushing up against this. It was a battle for a little while in that, like, you know, I wasn't religious, but I did see the value and I wanted this in my life and I wanted to keep growing. And this person really had no interest in going on that journey with me. And so the relationship comes to a head at some point where you think I'm probably going to want to marry someone Jewish and therefore we don't really have a future together. Are you thinking that far ahead? Yeah. And I always knew, you know, even when I wasn't religious, I saw the value in marriage and building a family. I didn't want to be alone in my life where I felt so alone. I really wanted to work towards being a partner to someone. I loved kids. I wanted to have kids. It's one of the reasons why I didn't want to be an actress. Like I wanted that to be the priority for me, even before I was religious. And it just didn't seem like it was a priority for this guy. In fact, I know that it wasn't. I always say, you know, he's a great person, like really, really incredible human. But it was like trying to fit a a triangle into a circle. When you think about Judaism and the way that we date, you know, we do values and goals and respect and attraction and making sure we're on the same page. None of that was the case there. We had the same interests when we started out. You know, we both liked the arts. And that was, I think, about it. And he was just a, you know, a sweet, special person. So once I realized that it wasn't going to work out, it was really hard. I have to believe someone at one of these organiz- at this organization where you're getting involved says you really want to discover your roots. You got to find your way to Israel. So does this happen next? Yeah. So uh, my mentor Jackie Glazer, at that time, I was going to these classes and I was getting to know this group of girls, and she so brilliantly was like, "Why don't you guys all go to Israel together?" And we were like, "Sure." So we go on this program called Mayor Vision, and um, I mean, just all of my questions are being answered. You know. I fell in love with the land. And the last day of the trip, I was bawling. I didn't want to leave. I wanted to stay. I had to go back, but I, I made a plan. But yeah, I mean, it was it was incredible what that did for me. You just said you made a plan. The plan was what? To save up more money so you could find your way back to Israel? Yeah. So it was actually just going to be a couple months of saving up and then coming back. But I ended up being promoted into a training manager at my company. And I loved it. I was taking these new people right out of college, essentially, and training them in sales and helping them empower them to like become successful, make something out of themselves, make more money, make money for the first time. And I was good at it. And I was also really growing in growth mode. And I really felt that in order to get to my next step, to get to my next level in my in my Jewish journey, I had to go back to Israel. So it was a really complicated situation because you have to understand when I started this job, I, I had no affiliation. I was really not connected at all. And then, you know, there was a moment where I had to like go to my bosses and say, I'm keeping Shabbos now. I have to leave at a certain time. And they see this whole progression. They see one girl walk in and like years later, they see somebody else. And I had I sat down with my boss and I said, I have to leave. I have to go. You know, I want to make something of myself. You know, I, I, I want to become the best version of myself. I want to be religious. I want to get married to a religious guy. And he's nobody's going to marry me if I, you know, I need to go to I need to go to seminary. So I really say that that was my moment because there was every single part of me that was telling me, what are you doing? Quitting your amazing job where you're making money and you're impacting lives. And you're going to give that all up right now to go study in Israel and share a room with three other girls. And like, it was it was a very challenging decision. 
And yet you did it anyway. So the calling must have been that strong, feeling like you had to have this in your life. So where are you holding in terms of your observance when you go? And then how does that change over the time period that you're in Israel to the point when you come back? You know, I'm pretty much, you know, what they call Stam, like, you know, Shomer Torah and Mitzvos. I was still eating like dairy out. I didn't really wear my jeans so often, but I couldn't throw them away. I remember taking them to Israel with me. Like I wasn't quite ready to give those up yet. Um, but I was pretty much there. It was slow and steady, but I also took to it pretty quickly. Like whenever I heard something, I was like, oh, that's MS. That's truth. In fact, I had a great mentor who, Jackie, like I said, who would sort of sometimes slow me down and be like, why are you doing the things that you're doing? Let's like take a second here. And I find myself, you know, doing that with my students today as well. <laughs> like, I just wanted to be empowered to like know why I was doing what I was doing. I wanted to have ownership over my Judaism. I would think then going to Israel helps like cement the whole thing that you're doing because now you're going to be surrounded by people who are in the same growth mindset as you and you can all grow together and you can start to feel like really positive about what you're doing but then you come back so where do you go when you come back to make sure that you're now in an environment where you can continue on your path so I have to like slow you down a little bit because I actually was was in Israel for for 16 months and at the tail end of that time I was a madricha for like a Kiruv program and I was working with the girls and Aaron, my husband, my now husband, was working for the guys and the person in charge of the program is also a Shad Khan and uh, she introduced me to him. And so we actually started dating my last couple of months in Israel, which was incredible. You know, is what I was actually in the process of making Aliyah when I met him. You know, on my Shirach resume, it said, you know, I am wanting to stay in Israel, but I'm open to going, you know, to the States for the right person. And his actually said the opposite <laughs> that I, you know, I'm going back to the States, but I'm open to, you know, maybe coming back to Israel. But we just met and uh, it was worth not being in Israel to be with my husband. Having interviewed Aaron, I would think that you're connecting over the fact that neither of you were raised religious in your both in that same growth mode, like at the same point in your journey, what are those conversations like and how do you figure out whether you're meant to stay in Israel because that's where you met or you're going to actually come back? You know, one of the things that my husband and I connected on is that he came from, you know, a little bit of a tumultuous background as well. When you talk about goals, we were so committed to like breaking the cycle and to like raising beautiful Neshamas and like bringing just wonderful children into this world that continue the line of, of Torah and mitzvos. We were just so committed to growth. And I think it was just so refreshing to speak to someone who was that committed. And we really connected over that. I actually knew right away that I wanted to marry him. It took him a little bit longer. I didn't say I played it very cool, you know, um, <laughs> like, like, you know, but we couldn't stay in Israel because my husband, he got into Rutgers nursing school and accelerated program. He actually was a, you know, English major in college and then went back, like did his prereqs, did everything. He was just in Israel over the summer and he was, he was really heading back to begin school. So um, we came back together to, you know, we dated for eight weeks and we came back so that he can meet the, we, we went to, you know, went to New Jersey and then went to California so we can meet the whole family. We got engaged in New Jersey and then I actually went back to Israel while we were engaged, which was awesome. And he stayed here to be in school. So we were apart while we were engaged. But the overall plan is that you're going to be in New Jersey because that's where he's doing nursing. And what are you thinking you're going to be doing? 
I knew that I was probably going to get back into sales. My husband, was he really had no money when we were dating. But when the Shad Khan said to me, you know, he's not going to be making any money for a little while. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. Like, I can make money. It wasn't even, like, it didn't even cross my mind. I was like, I could do sales. I can make money. So um, I come back here. I had, like, a little recruiting job for a minute. But then I actually ended up working for a startup, which was, you know, it, it was awesome. It was I was very into the mission. It was about children's education. And um, I started selling for them and coaching in sales for them. And I did that for a while when we got back. And then you talked about going to California, you know, to meet your family and, and you having the opportunity to meet his family. But when we last left your story with your family, we had a father that you weren't talking to and your mother was off in rehab. So what role are they playing in your life at this point? At that time, by the way, she was um, totally sober. So my husband was able to come back and see her. And my mom, I remember sitting down when I called her up in Israel and I said, Mom, I met my husband. She said, no, you didn't. He's not your husband until I meet him. And uh, I remember very vividly, my mom picks us up from the airport and she sits down. We're in a restaurant in, in L.A. And Aaron just won her over like instantly. It took two seconds, you know, for, for them to speak and to be like, OK, I can see this. Like, this is great. So my father at that time is still not in my life. Um, he comes in a little bit later on, but he's my, my husband is really meeting my mom and my sister and my brother and, you know, my friends from back home. And it went well. And so you get married and you settle in New Jersey. And, and what happens as you begin building a family and thinking about your careers? So I, I was really not happy in sales, especially as I became more, as I was growing in my religious journey and becoming more religious. And then, in, in fact, being religious, I just felt like it was stressful. It wasn't for me. And I was different than I was, you know, seven years ago when I started this journey. And I was unhappy in my sales job, not because the job was bad per se, but because I just wasn't happy doing sales anymore. My husband was, he was in nursing school. It was a very difficult nursing program. It was accelerated. So it was, I mean, really intense. And um, he was studying for his boards and, you know, it took him a couple times to pass. And finally, when he passed, he's like, you should do something that you actually like doing. You know, now that I'm making money, you're not supporting us. Like, you can actually do something that you like. I had, you know, we had, had my, my oldest, my two and a half year old at the time. And I would always joke that I should just get into Kiruv. Like I should sell, but I should sell, you know, the best product out there. <laughs> and my husband was Makarov by um, RJX. And so we would do some volunteering. We would host for Shabbos a lot. I would go learn with some girls. And um, I would joke, like, I should just quit my job and do this. And uh, when there was an opening, my boss is now and my, you know, my husband's mentors called me and they were like, do you actually want to go into Kiruv? Like, do you, can we talk about this? And that was sort of the beginning of my, my outreach journey. So you said RJX, that's Rutgers Jewish Experience? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what you're doing now? You're involved with that organization and, and doing Kiruv with them? Yeah, Baruch Hashem, I'm the women's director at RJX. That's beautiful. So you and Aaron are two people who clearly through the course of the interviews have talked a lot about growth. So what's on the radar for you as a couple and as a family over the next few years? So my husband is a coach on the side. He's a, he's a detox and mental health nurse and he does coaching. Um, and I just, the truth is, is that I really love what I do. I do some coaching here and there on the side, but I have the best job in the world. It doesn't feel like a job. I teach two to three times a week. We host for Shabbos. And I just want to become better at what I do now um, and really expose these girls to what authentic Torah really is. You know, I say it was champagne without the bubbles. Like, I want to bring those bubbles into them. I want them to see where they come from and how amazing it is and um, to help with self-esteem. You know, self-esteem these days is like abysmal. And, and, you know, Torah is the best mental health book out there. 
and just to to really inspire and engage these girls who can one day, you know, hopefully maybe see themselves moving closer to Torah mitzvos. And before we close the interview, you mentioned that you were estranged from your father, but I'd love to believe that you got reconnected with him. And I think you also told me that there's someone within his family that has its own interesting story. So can you close by sharing how that all happened? Totally. It's incredible. You know, I always joke that like, you know, Hashem came down in the middle of New York City and just like plucked me out in the form of like a very handsome (laughs) young guy. And so like, hey, you need to be from, you need to become religious. And I'm very grateful for that. When I was getting married, when I, when I was sending out my invitations, I, you know, I wanted to invite my father and his side of the family. So we send out our invitations and I get a call from my aunt, my, my father's sister. And she says, I will never forget. I'm walking down the streets of New York. And she said, tell me your Bali Chuva story. And I'm like, how do you know what that word is? She's like, oh, your cousin, your first cousin is becoming a rabbi right now. And I'm like, that is so crazy. So they actually were not able to come to the wedding. They, we told them, come to the wedding, but they weren't able to come. The weather on our wedding night was so horrible. They were coming in from Queens. So they started to come, but they couldn't make it. But a couple weeks after we got married, we actually um, we spent a Shabbos with them, my cousin and his wife, and, and at the time his two kids. And uh, they are like our sole brother and sister. And it's incredible to have somebody from in our family. So they actually made Aliyah a little over a year ago. My Everybody thinks my husband and my cousin, Rabbi David Yisrael Kalmas, are cousins because they look alike and they're, they act very similar. But we're actually, <laughs> that's not the case. He's uh-huh. my cousin. And we're so connected to them. In terms of my father, I did a lot of work within therapy and just learning about, you know, the way that we're supposed to regard our, our family and our parents. And I really forgave him for, for everything. I have no ill feelings towards my father. So what I do is that we don't have always like the closest relationship per se, but I reach out to him every couple of weeks with a, hey, how are you thinking of you? I send him photos of my girls. I have two delicious, amazing, wonderful girls. And I send him photos and just say that we're thinking about you. We've seen him a couple of times, you know, without any strings attached or no expectation. But, you know, I just try to love him up because I think, you know, he um, he had a very difficult upbringing. And uh, like Hashem gave me my challenge and I was able to sort of overcome it. It's not always like that so clearly for everyone. So I just have a lot of love for him. And uh, Baruch Hashem, you know, it's good. He gets to see his little grandkids and it's, it's awesome. I'm just reflecting on this whole story that you just shared and the word that comes to mind to describe you as resilience. Oh, just what an amazing story of overcoming the odds of the hand that you were dealt and where you took your journey to. And I think just unbelievable things are going to continue to happen for you and Aaron. And I just feel blessed that I got to interview both of you and hear your inspiring stories. So let me just say thank you so much, Sarah, for being on Saturday to Shabbos. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys.
Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.